I mean, don't count them out yet. All right, so that's it for the game uh, for Extra Points tonight. For everybody in studio, for Bill, J.K. Wiggles, Andrew Arushi, I'm Rob. Michigan basketball on Saturday on the Sports Stream Live at 4 o'clock against Eastern Michigan. Three hours of Sports Talk Game of the Week, 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific, on Friday night here on WCBN. Until then, from Ann Arbor, good night. You're listening to WCBN Sports, where Michigan basketball happens. It's right off a screen. Douglas, NBA range. Three! Stu Douglas, Michigan wins. 18 seconds, the differential between the game and shot clock. Michigan holding a two-point lead, trying to get it in three. Oh, backdoor! Sims, he slams it! Oh, baby! Four-point game, there's still 28 points. Slam it home to Sean! Oh, boy. Four-point game, 20 seconds still left. Plenty of time for UCLA. Here's Keith, top of the key. Holiday in the near quarter. Michigan cannot allow a three-year. Holiday, low baseline. Pass it wildly out of bounds. 14.1 to go. And now Michigan can sense it. Long outlet pass into the hands of Collison in the front court. Collison has it. Tough three, partially blocked. Bogan. A shocker in New York City. Michigan knocks off the number four team of the country. And they'll get Duke tomorrow night for a 2K Sports Classic Championship. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And after that rousing music there, I feel like saying, and I'm Jim. Yeah, well, it's Jim uh, Dwyer. rousing music. What the heck? Beating Duke in basketball is probably almost as good as beating Notre Dame in football. Not quite, but uh, hey, these, this young Wolverine team is, is fun to watch. And uh, maybe the basketball uh, program can redeem the football program this year. Uh, they are it's well been a coached. Long way back for the basketball yeah, team. Yeah, well coached and uh, fun to watch. And they legitimately have some players. You know, it's not just uh, you know smoke and mirrors like the way the American economy has been lately. It's uh, they've they've got uh, three or four guys on the team that can actually make it happen. So yeah, at some point uh, this season, you might be able to go out to Chrysler Arena and. Uh, Oh, get a get a decent uh, seat for a decent price and uh, support the home team. Well, enough propaganda. Our culture is inundated with propaganda. But on the subject of sports, perhaps uh, I don't I don't know if there's going to be a car czar. I guess we can open up with uh, the big three problem. There's sort of a late breaking story that there is some sort of a temporary deal, sort of a bridge loan. Sounds like GM and Chrysler are going to get money. Uh, I have problems with Chrysler getting money. They're privately held. Why is uh, a company with Dan Quayle and Jon Snow on the board getting money from the government? Um, Why is Dan Quayle on the board? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that this uh, this whole saga that we've seen the last several weeks, I think, is sort of a uh, complete... Um, recapitulation of the entire last 40 years of the failure of, of, of America in so many ways. One of the things that's been absent from the discussion, I, I saw a headline last week, 
labor and greens collide on aid for auto industry, uh, which of course is pitting essentially the uh, environmental movement against the UAW. And it's interesting because both of these groups are considered traditional Democratic constituencies. Right. And um, I think that there is an element, by the way, of the Republican Party opposing um, a bailout uh, to uh, emasculate the UAW. Because the UAW, factually speaking, in terms of providing the ground forces for the ground game in a, in a political campaign, a congressional campaign, a presidential campaign, are second to none in terms of backing the Democratic Party. The problem has been is that the big three, the corporate side of uh, these auto companies, has been supporting the Republicans these many years. And if they would examine the history one of the problems that I'm having with the debate is there's no discussion of how the big three got into trouble to begin with. Right. This goes back to the oil embargo in 1973, America's support for Israel in the Yom Kippur War, the five-month oil embargo imposed by Saudi Arabia. As I said a couple of weeks ago, General Motors and Ford did not invade Iraq. Right. General Motors and Ford um, did not speculate on Wall Street uh, regarding oil prices, for instance, this, this summer, which have, are now down to five-year lows. But I think it's pretty amazing when you have, just last week, the worst economic news that we've seen anywhere from the last 35 years to the last 75 years all coming together in one week. Almost two million jobs lost since September. Yeah, and no end in sight. I mean, more mortgage problems. Uh, there's been a little loosening of credit here and there. But I think the first order of business for uh, the big three is a termination of any support for NASCAR. Give those uh, hillbillies uh, down south who are opposing the bailout bill something to chew on and see if Richard Shelby wins re-election. I bet there's a lot more NASCAR dads that would get more outraged about NASCAR being canceled than uh, whether his neighbor loses his job. <laughs> That's probably true. And I mention this only because uh, over the week, and this was on the sports page, uh, but it might have uh, been appropriate to have been on the business uh, section of the news, and certainly it was discussed, but it says Formula One is rattled after Honda pulls out. And I don't follow car racing at all. But Formula One is basically the Indy cars, you know, the, right. the cars that go 200 miles an hour. And this is the international car market, uh, car racing series that's, um, I don't know, if Emerson Fittipaldi, I think he might be the most famous. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, Michigan, of course, boasts uh, Michigan International Speedway. Yeah. Their, uh Towards Jackson. And they used to have, by the way, they used to have a Formula One race in downtown Detroit. That's right. They used to be the, the one that went through the the Renaissance Center and down through 696. And I don't know if you drive a car fast, but boy, 696, you can cruise on that freeway. That thing is tailor-made for driving fast. Yeah, downtown Detroit's no longer tailor-made for driving fast. No, it's not. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this is interesting. I'll just read this. Honda, and of course Honda makes hybrid cars. They're maybe 
in terms of consumer uh, quality, maybe the number one car company here in the United States. They make they've been making Hondas in Ohio now for years, and they've got other plants. November sales in the United States fell 32 percent. And the chief executive of Honda said, quote, Honda must protect its core business activities and secure the long term as widespread uncertainties in the economies around the globe continue to mount, said Takeo Fukui, the chief executive of Honda, Japan's number two automaker at a news conference in Tokyo. He added, I offer my sincere apologies to everyone involved. Now, if Honda, which has been making money, uh, and of course I mentioned that car sales number of 32% down in November, because uh, these are the numbers that, that all the car companies are facing. Um, in fact, the Honda Accord in October of all the auto companies was, uh, uh, that particular model was down 36% and was characterized as the biggest loser um, for the month, their sales in October were down 25%. Um, so I don't know what the cars are is going to do, but it strikes me that getting out of NASCAR may be a, a message to Richard Shelby and John Corker that have been sitting in judgment on this committee, maybe the first order of business. Well, it would certainly... Uh inject a note of seriousness into yeah. the proceedings um if you want a bizarre image involving automobiles this uh from an article by matthew Guerin about california's cash crisis thousands of unsold cars are piling up at long beach the docks that together with nearby los angeles represent the biggest port complex in the western hemisphere unwanted by car dealers who cannot sell them the Toyotas and Mercedes have turned the port into a huge car park and become an unwitting symbol of the fiscal crisis gripping California. Uh, Governor uh, Schwarzenegger has uh, called to stop the bleeding. This is the first time I think Arnold has ever uh, been against bleeding. But uh, as the... Uh, Legislature debates the budget, which is now uh, fraught with uh, problems based on estimates that were made months ago. Uh, Schwarzenegger says that uh, he, I compare the situation that we are in right now to finding an accident victim on the side of the road that is bleeding to death. We wouldn't spend hours debating over which ambulance we should use. No, we would first stop the bleeding. So there you go. Arnold calls to stop the bleeding. Yeah, and there's plenty of bleeding, and the bleeding will continue. Um, and uh, well, interesting. Uh, Chicago uh, workers uh, have taken over a factory in a sort of a protest that harkens back to the sit-down strike of the uh, '30s in oh, Detroit. The of the Flint, yeah. This is uh, window uh, manufacturers. Um, and protest organizers say there that the company can't pay employees the back pay, uh, severance pay, and vacation pay that they say is owed them because its main creditor, the Charlotte, North Carolina-based Bank of America, won't let them pay the workers these monies that they're owed. Uh, Bank of America is one of the banks that received uh, billions in the mm -hmm. bailout, and yet uh, workers won't get the money there. It'll be interesting to see where that ends up going.
And it's just, it's just a window factory, but still, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, and as the debate continues, and you know, it's a little unclear whether Bush is going to sign on to this. Now, this is a Band-Aid approach. Obviously, if Bush, um, and I'm going to bring up a famous quote from Gerald Ford, New York City, drop dead. Ford tells oh. New York to drop dead. <laughs> now it can be the other way around. Well, that wasn't, of course, really the Ford quote. That, that wasn't, was the yeah. way the uh, New York Post, I believe, exactly. spun that headline uh -huh. uh, after Ford. Uh, so said, we can spin no it the does. other way yeah. and say Bush tells Ford to drop dead, <laughs> um, which might be accurate. And by the way, I mean, just a, a little joke about the president, uh, Jay Leno, occasionally has a has a good. A uh, joke that uh, makes it into the newspapers. I, I missed the Jay Leno show, but uh, Leno apparently, as part of his opening monologue, said, uh, President Bush and his lovely wife, wife, Laura, have purchased a new home in Dallas, Texas, worth $2 million. See, this is where President Bush has outsmarted everybody. People underestimate this guy. Five mo months ago, he would have had to pay $10 bucks for that house. But thanks to his economic plan, he got a bargain. He's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is appropriate. Um, then he continues, how do they work a loan like this when the president applies for a home loan? Like, do they do a credit check? Does that include the trillion-dollar deficit? <laughs> Indeed. Just uh, remarkable. And, in fact, Bush... <laughs> Wherever he is, whatever he's doing. He seems doing. to be at the undisclosed location. Yeah, he's just dropped right off the map. In fact, uh, this I think him and Cheney are down in the basement somewhere <laughs> making schmores. <laughs> Play again in Stratego. <laughs> you captured the flag. You captured you the flag. You sunk my battleship. <laughs> anyway, the uh, Financial Times writer Edward Luce notes here in a piece from today's paper, uh, Impatient Obama Fills Bush Vacuum. Notes that, uh, and I'm reading a passage here, the Obama transition team uh, has observed Mr. Bush's abdication of presidential authority with mounting concern. Um, it's bizarre that we still have a 77-day lag time yeah. between Election Day and Inauguration. But I, in my 45 years, 20-some of which been following politics, uh, I don't remember a transition team getting this much media attention, uh, being really looked to as the de facto president already. Well, in th in this case, I think he's had to, because there is there is this chasm. Uh, you know, it's remarkable, to, by the way, to contemplate that it used to be March when they did Good the Lord. inauguration. Uh, and because fact, of the weather, right. I think I think even the year of the Great Depression, uh, when FDR was inaugurated, he didn't actually take over until early March. Wow. Which is even a larger uh, transition, uh, hiatus period. And uh, perhaps it was the Great Depression uh, that sped that up because they realized, wait a minute, we can't have a lame duck uh, acting like a lame duck, being a lame duck, and looking like a lame duck at all points. I mean, he had a big summit. Well, he's, Bush has given new meaning to the phrase, uh, the term lame duck. Yeah, he's the lamest of ducks ever. Uh, I think a recent um, <clears throat> poll of historians indicated that 98% of them viewed his presidency as a failure, with 61% rating him the worst president of all time. Uh, in the remainder of uh, the polls, he, he basically finished second to James Buchanan, uh, who 
course, preceded Abraham Lincoln and dithered and dothered while the Civil War problems began to mount. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Bush... Uh, I mean, it might be just as well that he's off the map, really. Yeah, off the map, though, there are some troubling indications that he's been signing some of them going out of business uh, executive orders, mm. you know, that protect uh, drilling in national parks and, oh, prepare the way to pardon all the torture uh, situations and whatnot. And, right. um, you know, it's interesting. Um, this is just a, an example, though, of, of how, and I failed to write a date down on this, but I'll just... Uh, quote this in in relation to the uh, Wall Street bailout, the bank bailout, which of course is characterized as something that's necessary to prevent the collapse of American capitalism. Um, Clive Haberman, who has a column about New York City, said, according to our math, not the most reliable of guides, each taxpayer in this country has a 1785 dollar 71 cents ownership shares in the banks of America this figure is based on the 250 billion that the treasury department is investing in banks to prod them to start lending again we divided the 100 uh, the 250 billion by 140 million which is what the internal revenue service says is the number of individual tax returns filed last year by our count that gives every taxpayer a $1,785.71 stake in J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and the rest. And, of course, part of the uh, problems that the big three are having are connected to um, the financing issue. Um, if you see a poll, for instance, uh, from recent... Um, uh, what's the source of this? The Conference Board, which is essentially the Federal Reserve oh, and their regional banks. And by the way, all 12 regions are reporting problems. Well, there's a fascinating article about how the economy in North Dakota is doing quite well, but <laughs> I don't think too many people are moving to North Dakota. I mean, Fargo might be a little chilly there in the winter. Other costs. And other problems <laughs> with living in Fargo. But the gist of the article is basically that the North Dakotans are sensible people. They don't borrow money that they can't pay back, and the banks don't loan money that they can't afford not to get paid back. So it's conservative banking. You want to buy a house? We need 20% down, like it used to be in the old days, and this is part of the problem. But if you look at um, consumer, uh, and this is basically the worst consumer confidence in American history, uh, came out. Uh, it's come out in the conference board and also the University of Michigan's uh, Survey Research Center has confirmed this data. Um, you know, worst, uh, everything in the last two, two months has been the worst in, as I said, anywhere between the last 35 and 80 years. But if you look at the number of Americans contemplating buying a house or an automobile over the next six months, 
um, it's below 5% for, for both figures. And, of course, a automobile is a significant investment. Now, my own personal operational style over these many years has been to buy very cheap cars, no car alone, roll the dice, hope it lasts three years, try and pay less than $1,000, and take, take your chances. And then, of course, you know, don't need the expensive auto insurance, don't have a car payment, but you got maintenance problems. Right. And there's the fact that I don't need a car. It's a luxury for me. I can get by on a bike, on foot, mass transit. Not everyone's so lucky. Not everyone lives within two miles of your job. Right. This is something, by the way, that I would recommend that all Americans consider. Move as close as you can to your job. Um, have other options if there are mass transit options. But the fact of the matter is this country is just not designed with much mass transit as a backup alternative. Is the big three behind this? Is they, are they responsible for this? We don't know. We have some theories about southeast Michigan that would indicate that they've sabotaged mass transit quite a bit in this area. But in the big cities, Boston, New York, uh, San Francisco, Chicago, Washington, where they do have mass transit options 24-7, mm-hmm. you just don't have that in the Midwest. Um, and perhaps there needs to be a new slogan. You know, there's this thing out there, this phrase, too big to fail, old enough to walk. <laughs> Maybe that can be the uh, the uh, <clears throat> message we send to the... Uh, the good old boys down there in the south of the uh, Mason-Dixon line. I had some figures, by the way, on Mercedes sales that I can't find for the moment, but uh, if anybody thinks Mercedes is going to pick up the slack for uh, General Motors and Ford, they better think again, because General Motors and Ford in one month make something like 28, 30 times the cars that Mercedes makes. There's a reason that a Mercedes-Benz costs um, $35,000. Now, the smart car is is a very interesting uh, Mercedes product that uh, we've seen now here in Ann Arbor. We see a few of them rolling around. They look like they might fall, tip over at any moment. I don't know if you've seen a few of them. I don't think so. Those are the little tiniest of cars that have the two wheels... Oh, the okay. Two-seater, yeah, yeah. I should say the two-seater where the wheels are almost right up to the bumper on both sides. Yeah, those do strike me as a little bit on the amusement park looking and sort I think of ride for the regular roads. Maybe eight feet. A little dangerous. Maybe eight feet wide, well, long, and you can yeah. squeeze into, you can get two of them into one parking space and probably can get a six-pack in your, in your uh, trunk. Uh, I don't think you're going to be able to. Or uh, I I just saw recently. But that's like the car and the the guy drives in Brazil, just the little sort of mini that he just kind yeah. of hunkers down into, and it, maybe that's the future is the super small car. Sure, maybe maybe it's back to the the three wheeled. Uh, the things that they told me in fourth grade are not coming to pass. Italian <laughs> Italian <laughs> the Fren- future French vehicle. What was that? Uh, what were those things called? Those little ah, they looked like backwards tricycles. Right. Um, is it Piaget? Yeah, Peugeot. Like that. Peugeot. That 
interestingly now owns is part of a Nissan uh, international conglomerate. Nissan owns the biggest French car company, Renault, Peugeot. Uh, uh, mergers abound. Uh, yeah. You know, GM and Ford are, by the way, trying to sell Saab and, and Volvo, but to who? Who wants to buy them? <laughs> who can afford to buy them? Mm. Who's got the cash? Uh, maybe the Swedes can bail America out. Maybe Canada can, if only Canada could figure out who's in charge of their government. <laughs> I understand Mr. Harper uh, has, uh, we'll give him a brain damage award, apparently, to avoid a vote of no confidence. He basically shut Parliament down for two months to buy some more time. That'll go over well. Yeah. Real democratic. Um, and, of course, the job losses are are absolutely staggering. Uh, we get these uh, the most recent report on this. And, of course, uh, in Fridays, in Saturdays, excuse me, New York Times, they even point out that the um, grim jobs picture is not, as, not showing the full picture. Um, according to the article by David Leonard and Catherine Rample, the uh, job losses in... The, the latest month in which the government officially, and by the way, once again, uh, the, let the truth be told, Bush has revised upward both the September and October jobless numbers. Uh, the, the jobs picture was worse uh, in those months than uh, previously advertised. Um, well, they've done that consistently for consistently. the last uh, seven, part, eight years. Part of the way they operate. Um but yeah, these uh, these numbers are are troubling uh, to say the least because they are across the board. Um, there's no area of the economy not affected um, over the course of the uh, of the quote recession. Six hundred thousand manufacturing jobs have been lost. This is one third of the total. And needless to say, with big three restructuring on the horizon, that's even going to go up. Dow today announced huge job cuts, the chemical maker. Anheuser-Busch uh, made uh, huge job announcement, job cut announcements today. Um, you want to get a, an idea of how bad the economy is. I was looking at this the other day. This is the top... 100 uh, stocks in the Standard & Poor's Index, which is essentially the, you know, uh, a major index. Most investment experts, by the way, tell you to pay attention to the S&P 500 more than the Dow, because the Dow is the top 30, whereas the S&P are the top 500. Well, this is the top 100. And if you look at it, over the course of the last year, the last 12 months, there's two companies out of 100 that are up. Amgen, which is in biotech, and Walmart. And Walmart is up 22%, and Amgen is up 23%. Every other company is down. Some of these companies, by the way, are down 70, 80, 90%. Completely wiped out, pretty much. Um, and there, it's all double digits. In other words, there, the, there's only a couple of companies that aren't even down double digits, and those, by the way, are in the railroad sector. It doesn't look good out there, folks. 
And uh, Obama is correct when he uh, informs us that the that things are likely to get worse before they get better. What's been the stock market's reaction to all of this absolutely devastating news? It's gone up big time because they think now, since Larry Summers and Volcker and, uh, oh, Stephen, uh, the, the new Treasury Secretary, the chairman of the New York Federal Reserve, drawing a blank on his last name, um, are going to put forward a, a budget proposal a stimulus package near a trillion dollars. This is after uh, we've spent $1.4 trillion uh, bailing out Wall Street. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting, by the way, to, to read The Nation magazine in recent weeks compared to the Main Street, quote, Main Street uh, media about the uh, perspective on Obama. But uh, I, if you've lived in Ann Arbor a long time, you'll remember Dean Baker. Mm-hmm. Dean Baker ran for Congress against Purcell, that famous, uh, where the main issue was the Contras. And he's now become a kind of a mainstream left-wing economist that's quoted frequently in, in uh, public, uh, public news uh, shows. He's associated with the journal Dollars and Cents. Yeah, and, and he's part of... a think tank, a left-wing think tank uh, in Washington, D.C. that analyzes uh, economics. And just a quote from the October 20th article by William Greider, who's become one of the more strident critics of the new Obama economic team. Uh, He wrote um, that the nation's great loss of wealth belongs to people, ordinary working people, most who have borrowed heavily in order to sustain their faltering standard of living under pressure from flat or falling incomes. Given the bubble of inflated uh, housing prices, people borrowed most easily from their own savings, the equity that they had accumulated in their homes. When housing prices collapsed, economist Dean Baker estimates their loss of wealth was 4 to $5 trillion. Three decades ago, Americans homeowners held 70% of equity in their houses. Today, it's fallen below 50%. Many families have spent their retirement savings and are still working. And uh, this is the truth, this hemorrhaging, this sort of this connection between housing, jobs, automobiles, more jobs lost. There's, there is a spiral here that's, that's out of control that uh, somebody needs to come in and call a timeout, go over into the corner. Anyway, you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Well, uh, one person who no longer needs to worry about the financial malaise is uh, Henry Molaison, who lived for decades with profound amnesia. Uh oh. You see this? Famous amnesia victim dies. This uh, unfortunate soul was uh, injured as a nine year old when a bicyclist ran into him and. Uh, for the next 18 years, he suffered from uh, seizures and so forth and uh, couldn't work at uh, his trained skill. Uh, he underwent an experimental brain operation to correct the seizures, but as a result, developed profound amnesia. Uh, fortunately, science was able to learn from what they had messed up, I guess, in rendering the guy uh, effectively uh, brain damaged uh, from their experimental surgery. Uh, 
there was uh, much uh, to be learned, of course, about the uh, arrangement of the brain and where memory uh, exists, is located in actual physical space. And so 